Psalms chapter 11. Sorry, we had some technical problems, like YouTube wasn't working, like what's going on? So um, again, if you're just joining with us, you're in my living room here at my house up in Oregon City. We're grateful that our power came back on uh, about a day and a half ago, or, or uh, all my days are actually uh, mixed up in our blur. I'm like, what day is it today? Is it Thursday? No, it's Wednesday, that's why we're here. But uh, grateful for power, grateful for PGE guys working hard in overtime. Um, so yeah, if you have your Bible, Psalms chapter 11. As we come, we're going to look at Psalms 11 through 14. We're, I know it's kind of crazy. We're getting, um, we're going to make some headway here and do four chapters, I think, tonight. Um, but as we come to these Psalms, each one of these were written by David. That's, that's the, the author of each of the Psalms. And they're all written to the choir director, or your translation at the heading might say the chief musician. And that just tells us that uh, these psalms were intended to be sung corporately. They were intended to be a part of corporate worship. And so they're not just for the edification of an individual, but man, these are songs that they would memorize, that they would sing. And each of these that we're going to see, why are we doing four? Is because they're actually shorter in length. I believe the longest one is eight chapters tonight. Eight chapters long. Or eight verses, sorry. Eight verses. You're like, no. Uh, eight verses. So we're not sure. The background of Psalms 11, um, it might be that David is on the run fleeing from Saul. If you remember that time in his life when King Saul is coming after him, chasing him, trying to kill him. Uh, it could be in that time that he, he pens Psalm 11, or it could be when David's running from his son Absalom. Uh, but regardless of the exact context, David is nonetheless on the run. Someone's coming after him. Someone is chasing him. So let's dive right in. Chapter 11, verse 1. Let's just read the whole thing. For the choir director, a Psalm of David. In the Lord, I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked, and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. That's Psalm 11. So David begins this psalm by saying, and I love, in the Lord, I take refuge. David knows that whoever is, it is that's pursuing him. This isn't just word of mouth. This isn't just gossip. This wasn't just um, some sort of backbiting, but rather this was a situation where either Saul is in pursuit to kill David or maybe his son Absalom, which would be even worse, it would just be breaking his heart right now, um, is trying to come and kill him. But either way, David cries out in this moment of his life, Lord, it's in you that I take refuge. He says, God, you've always done this for me. 
You've always preserved me. You've always kept me. You've always been faithful to me. It doesn't matter if I'm out facing a, a huge bear, you know, trying to attack my, my, my sheep or anything like that. If I'm fighting Goliath, Lord, you've always been that refuge for me. And because of that, because I have confidence in what you have done in the past, I, can, I know that I can trust you here in the present because I have that track record with you. And it's in you, Lord, that I place my refuge. And then it goes on, most likely, he says, to his friends that are with him. His friends are a little on the negative side here, even though I, I think they care about him, kind of like Job and his friends. But David says to them, how can you guys say to my soul, flee as a bird to the mountain? Like They're like, David, you got to get out of here, right? You're going to die. They're, you're you're going to get killed. They're going to track you down. Your end is, is near. Flee. Verse 2, for behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. They're telling David, David, they're locked and loaded, if you will. Like the, the, the bow is on the string, like they are ready for you. It can happen at any minute, any hour of the day. You're not even safe at night when everyone should be sleeping. They're waiting for you. They're ready to attack against you. And his friends are saying to David, look at verse three, even if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do. There's no law. There's no order, right? There's no justice, if you will. No morality. Things are just falling apart in life. What can we do? What can the righteous do? David says, I sought the Lord. He's my refuge. But they're saying, oh, David, that's sweet and all. Like, that's cute. Like, that's a good memory verse. You can put that like on your coffee bug, but you're gonna die, right? The gun is pointed at your head. You need to get out of here. And you can almost sense their kind of despair. And that's one of the things I love about the Psalms is that they make you feel. They force you to feel. They make you feel deep. Like our backs are against a wall. We don't see a way out. Not even for you, David. I don't care how great of a warrior you are. I don't care about your track record. I don't care how successful you were against the lion, you know, 15 years ago. Whatever. Our backs are against the wall. But I just love that the Psalms here, they're written, they're given to us. They're not just theological. It's not just this theory in a textbook. But we see tears. We see pain. There's sorrow, there's joy in the Psalms, born out of just real life experiences. And so these friends are like, so what are you gonna do? We're telling you to flee. You know, and we live, and we're not foreign to this same idea. Morality in our culture, in our context, here in 2021, is out the wall, right? Things all around us are falling apart. And I'm not just speaking of the frozen trees, right? In your yard. But if you watch the news too much, then you can feel almost like David's friends, if you will. Run for the hills, like get out of here, go to Texas, or you know, no, not really, but kind of, that's, that's where it can leave you, like run, you're not safe here. And you can feel despair, you can feel almost depressed, if you will, I don't know if you're, if you're like me. Man, you watch too much of the news, you see too much of the bad news going on in the world, like, man, it can leave you just, filled with anxiety and just depression. Like, man, this is, what we're, this is what the world's really come to. This is my life. But I love, I love how David 
Look at verse four. I love how David responds. He responds to his friends. He's like, the Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. You know, no doubt um, for David, what would come to his mind is both maybe the Lord's temple here on earth, but also in heaven. And David's like, guys, just a reminder, FYI, 411, right? God is still in control. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't fallen down like everything else in your life right now. He is that sure foundation. He's on the throne, he says. And that throne is in heaven. God is not shaking. He's not depressed. He's not filled with anxiety. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. And that throne, he says, is in heaven. And there's nothing that can be done on earth that can change or alter that reality. God's on his throne. And David says, and it's that king. And it's that throne that I take refuge in. It's the one that cannot be taken away. And I think of the words to that old hymn on Christ the solid rock, one of my favorite hymns. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. And that's what David is experiencing right now. It doesn't matter if your back is against the wall. It doesn't matter what you're facing in your life. Lord, it's in you because your throne is forever. You're seated in heaven. You're in control. You're sovereign. We take refuge in that. Then he says at the end of verse four, his eyes behold, his eyelids test the sons of man. David says, God sees it all. He sees the injustices or whatever is before you. He sees what you're going through in your life. He sees it all. And he's telling his friend, the Lord in verse five, tests the righteous and the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Upon the wicked, he will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. And there's a lot to speak about this, but I'll keep it short. David tells them, you guys are worried because they're locked and loaded with their bows. They got their, they got their string. They're, they're kind of pulling back, but look at what God will do. Do you notice that? Notice God is way more powerful. They may have their bows ready for fire, but God will pour down actual fire. That's what, he's, that's what he says. That's what he's telling them. God, it's God who will punish the wicked. We don't have to worry about them. And that could be a word for you tonight. It's like so much of our anxiety, I think, is riddled with or, or fueled by like, Lord, what are you going to do about what, what's going on in our country or in my life? All these evil is just prevailing and winning. Like, what are you going to do? We don't have to worry about that because God is, he sees and he'll take action. He is just. God's got them and we can just trust him to bring about justice. Verse seven, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Isn't that just a great word? David just confidently telling his friends, they're freaking out. They're like, dude, run, let's get out of here. Like we're just, we're all gonna die maybe because we're our, our association with you. But he says, guys, I know the Lord. He loves the righteous. He'll take care of the godly, the pure in heart. You know, I think of the words of Jesus in, in Matthew 5, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. That's what David's saying here. The wicked will be handled by God. But guess what? 
the righteous will also be handled by God, but in a very different way. You know, the wicked, they're going to be handled by God and they're going to see his wrath and his judgment. When you talk about, when, when that verse, um, fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. You know, I think of even Jesus, I have this on my notes, but I think of Jesus when he's in the garden, he's, he's asking the father, like, would you take this cup from me, right? Would you take this, this, the wrath, your wrath, would any other way, like, but nevertheless, my will, but your will, that that cup represented just the suffering. And I think, and you think of that word here, that their cup is going to be fire and burn. So they're, the wicked are going to face the wrath of God, the judgment of God. But, in it, but I love that the righteous, though, they too will be handled by God, but again, in a different way. They're not going to face the wrath. We have good news in that. They're going to, they're going to, he's going to handle us with protection. <laughs> he's going to reveal himself to us. They're going to behold his face, he says. And for David, trusting in the Lord was the safest thing that he could do at that moment of time. Placing his refuge in the Lord was a proven and successful plan, regardless of what the numbers look like on his Excel spreadsheet. His friends are freaking out, but David counters their fear with faith, faith in the Lord. Trust the Lord, he says, and I love that. And let me just ask you before we close this first chapter is what are you, what are you facing tonight? Like, what is it that your back is against the wall and everything in you or says run, but what would the Lord want to do in your circumstance, in your situation? I can't answer that for you. I can't answer that necessarily for anyone, but all I can just come back to is just point to the words of David saying to his friends, trust the Lord, take refuge in the Lord. And the other question is, what's the counsel? That's the thing I was thinking about is what's the counsel like from your friends? You know, you're going through a hard time. Are they counseling you in, away from trusting the Lord? Are they, are they encouraging you? Well, you know, trust your 401k or trust your this or that or, or run for the hills or get out of Portland. You know, it's, it's dangerous there or whatever. What are, what's that counsel? Let me just encourage you tonight. Trust the Lord. Take refuge in the Lord. Remind yourself tonight of who God is. That's what David had to do constantly. Chapter 12, again, written by David. Verse one, help, Lord. Have you guys ever prayed that? It's like simple prayer, I love it. Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases to be. For the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. I love that. Help, Lord. Like, Lord, you need to intervene. The godly man, the faithful men, he says, they're disappearing from society. Like they're ceasing to exist. We can't find a lot of them. There's not many left, Lord. David looks at the world. He sees maybe the hypocrisy, the injustices. He sees all the wickedness. He's like, Lord, you have to do something. The good guys, there's only a few left. And he's just like, help. He says about the ungodly or the unfaithful in verse two. These, these, they speak falsehood to one another. This is... These are the guys that are surrounding us. They speak falsehood with flattering lips and with a double heart. They speak. He's saying, Lord, I'm surrounded by people who, who are yes men, if you will. They just, they just say what people want to hear. They'll, they'll lie to save face. They're not men of conviction, but he says, notice that they're men with a double heart. 
You know, it was David who, who prayed like, Lord, give me an undivided heart. Not these guys. These guys have everything but an undivided heart. He says they have a double heart. They're double-minded, if you will. And then he says, may the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that speaks great things. He says, God, you have to deal with it. He says, who have said, David's is quoting the ungodly. They've said this, with our tongues, we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? In other words, these guys and just their wickedness and their arrogance, they're like, you can't stop us. We can do whatever the heck we want to do and you can't do anything about it. Think about like as a child on the playground, like at school and you have the bully and they're just like making fun of you. They're like, nah, 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 blah, blah. and they're just like running. Like that's kind of what I see in a way more intense view point. They're like, our tongues will prevail. Our lips are our own. And who's Lord over us? Yeah, that's what we thought, you know? And then the Lord, I love this. The Lord interrupts. Look at verse five. He interrupts them. Boom. Because of the devastation of the afflicted, because of the groaning of the needy, now I will arise, says the Lord. The Lord says this. I will set him in, in the safety for which he longs. Guys, this is amazing. The Lord cuts them off mid-sentence. They're like, you can't stop us. You can't do anything about it. We're on top of the world. No one can own us. No one can control, it, control us. And the Lord's like, hey, listen up. Because of everything you've done, all of the evil you've done, the devastation you have done, because of the, you've hurt the oppressed, you've caused uh, them to groan in need, because you say, who can Lord over us? I'm going to intervene. I'm going to step in. I'm rising up, the Lord says. I'm taking action. I'm going to show myself strong here. I love this. Because even in those situations in our lives, when we feel as though God is absent, where God is not present, where we feel that he's not moving, we can take heart that he is there. And we see here he takes action. And then David pipes up in verse six, he says, the words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. That's how David is describing the word of the Lord. He says, it's pure. It's powerful. He says, when my God says, I will arise, David says, his words are sure. When God says he's going to act, when God responds, you can take it to the bank. They've been, his words have been tested. They've been tried. He says they've come out pure and strong. Listen, let me tell you tonight, you tonight, you can trust the word of God. You can trust it. You don't have to make things happen in and of your own strength, in and of your own self. You can just simply rest and rely upon the word of God. You can trust God's word. His word is sufficient. You don't have to doubt it. You don't have to second guess it. You can take him at his word. Why do I say that? Because his word, as silver, he says, is tried in the furnace on the earth, refined seven times. That is his word. It's tested and it's tried. Verse seven, you, O Lord, will keep them. You will preserve him from this generation forever. The wicked strut about on every side when vileness is exalted above among the sons of men. This should be our response to the word of God. When God says, I will, our response should be with confidence. Yes, Lord, you will do it. Mm -hmm. You will 
keep your word. You will preserve it from this generation on and forevermore. Again, we can just take confidence in God's word. I love that. That's chapter 12. How, how are we doing? We're making progress. <laughs> I love it. Doing good. Doing good. All right, let's, let's keep going. Chapter 13. Man, God's word is just, if you haven't ever read through the Psalms, I encourage you to do it. Man, they're just so practical in just everyday life. Chapter 13, this is a great Psalm for the impatient. And you're like, what? You're feeling impatient in something in your life? This is your Psalm, okay? For the choir director, it's a Psalm of David again. Look, look, look at verse one. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Let me ask you tonight. Have you ever felt like God has forgotten about you? Be honest. Be honest with yourself. You don't have to write it in the comment section or anything like that. You don't have to share it. You could. That's always good to be honest and transparent with one another. But have you ever felt like God has forgotten about you? Now, I've told this story before, but I know that we have a lot of people watching. Um, my wife and I, we've been married for over 13 years, and we've gone through seasons, dark seasons. We battled infertility early in our, li- in our marriage. I should say not our lives, our marriage. And early in our marriage, I should say, it was a struggle and it still is to this day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're trying, we want, we want um, to start a family and nothing is happening. The doctors can't give us any hope or, or reasons or why, no explanations on what, you know, why can't we bear children and the, the, one of the most painful things for us in that season of time is watching our friends um, conceive and start their own families. And it has been, it was just super painful. And though you want to be excited for your family, you want to be excited for your friends, and, and you tried so hard to be, but Mary and I, we were just like, God, like, what about us? <laughs> like, we've been faithful. Like, we, we you know, we serve you. We're, we're here for you, like we love you. And, and yet, like, we feel, honestly, if I ever, and just be real and raw with, like we felt forgotten by God um, in that time. And but four times here in these two verses, David says, how long? The Hebrew, it, Translation is actually more of like, until when, God? Until when? Like, how long are you going to allow this to happen? Until when, Lord? Like, when are things going to change? When's my circumstance going to change? And I can tell you, we prayed that many a night. Lord, why us? Why now? What the heck is going on? I'm, I'm like screaming, like, Lord, can you not hear me? Are you far from me? That's how we felt. How long are you going to take? And this is such an easy place to be in. Maybe you've been in similar circumstances in your life. Maybe right now you're walking through one of those seasons where you're like, man, everyone else is just moving on to their life or or whatever it is. And you just feel like God, it, it has you just stuck in a spot. And you're just like, you can't get out. He hasn't released you. He hasn't, he hasn't, you know, 
done done what you've been praying for or what what have you and you're just like you feel forgotten like your all your friends prayers are being answered but your prayers are going unanswered like whatever it is but we've all been through these seasons in our lives but again one of the things that i love about the psalms is that it gives us a place to be honest and i and i said this a couple of weeks ago I, I, my personality, I love to get to like the happy part, <laughs> like just, just rush to the happy part. I don't like to linger in the angst. I don't like to linger in the pain because I don't want to feel that. But the Psalm says, no, 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 like it's good to feel like it's good to be honest. And just because we feel a certain way doesn't mean it's true. I want you to know that just because I felt forgotten about God doesn't mean I was forgotten about God. I know the Lord never really forgot about us. But it feel, though it does feel like that. So tonight, open yourself up. I just encourage you, open yourself up to the Lord. Just between you and the Lord, go to him with whatever it is going on in your life. How long, Lord? How long is this going to last? Your presence seems far from me. Take the freedom of David and just be honest before the Lord. You don't have to sugarcoat our prayers. We don't have to say, um, we don't have to rush to the happy part, but just allow the Lord to see your hurt, to know your hurt. We know he knows it, but you need to know that he knows it. You need to be honest before the Lord. Lord, I'm bummed out. I'm in dark depression right now. Whatever it is, horrible people, they're just succeeding at life. But here I am. I'm in pause mode. I can't seem to hit resume. I'm your child. I love you. I go to church on Sundays and Wednesdays or whatever it is. I'm watching this live stream of a dude in his living room. Like whatever it is, I'm trying to grow here, but I'm suffering. This isn't fair. How long, oh Lord? That's what David's asking. And then his prayer, notice in verse three, he says, consider and answer me, oh Lord, my God. Enlighten my eyes or I will sleep the sleep of death. I love his drama a little bit but and the enemy will say i've overcome him and my adversaries will rejoice when i'm shaken david just cries out to the lord he says consider me answer me lord i'm desperate for you here david gutzik says this in his commentary god often waits until our prayers are desperate until he hears them i think god always hears them but i think he's always doing a deepening work in us I think he always wants us to be at a place where we're always on our knees before the Lord. And David's here. He's at that place of desperation. He says, enlighten my eyes. David knows he's not seeing things clearly. He's not viewing God clearly. So he's praying, Lord, would you enlighten my eyes? Lord, let me see you. Let me see your wisdom. I need your eyes, your perspective on what's going on in my life. And that's a great prayer. You know, so often God is working in our suffering. God is at work in your pain. And throughout that whole like painful, long, I mean, it's still ongoing, um, season of infertility for my wife and I, though we felt forgotten by God, I can tell you this, Mary and I can look back and we have, we've looked back throughout the last 13 years. Wow, God, you were at work. Wow, God, you were shaping us through the pain, through, through the emptiness that we felt. You were molding us. You were rooting things out of us, especially me, just rooting things, breaking my heart for actually the things that break his heart, trying to get our attention more, capture our affection more, deepen our love for him more, our trust in him more. And that should be our prayer. Lord, though I'm suffering, though um, life is not turning out the way that I would envision it right now, would you give me wisdom. 
your wisdom in the midst of it? Would, I, would my eyes just be enlightened to see what you see and how you see? We all know the, the Lord's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Lord, help us to think like you. Help us to see like you. And then his God experience in verse five, but he says, I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. David, he rounds out his prayer with words of confidence. He says, but I, but I have trusted in your loving kindness, your unfailing love, maybe your translation says. It's as if he's walking himself through this. He's like in his own counseling session, if you will. And he wakes up and he realizes, hey, I can trust the Lord. And he's counseling his heart. He says, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation or in your mercy. He says, I will sing to the Lord a sign of worship. Why? Because the Lord, he says, has dealt bountifully with me. Or the New Living says, because the Lord has been good mm. to me. Man, Lord, would you give us your perspective, your eyes to see your goodness at work in our lives? What a transition. David starts off by saying, God, where are you? Why? Why are you so far away? I think of David also, Joshua remind me of the song because he, he, he speaks it so often. He's like, why are you cast down on my soul, right? David's counseling himself. Why are you cast down? Place your hope in God. Yeah. And there's the ending part. And I, maybe I'll be glad. I don't know. Don't quote me on it. Maybe look it up. Joshua, Joshua, give, you, give it to you at the, end of the, at the end of our time. But again, counseling himself. Like, why are you cast down on my soul? Place your hope in God. And that's what we see here in this chapter. But why have you forgotten about me? Remember me, you know, that lowly, lowly me down here who you've forgotten. And he cries out to the Lord, Lord, give me wisdom. Enlighten my eyes. And the Lord meets him. And David's like, oh yeah, God, you are at work. I do trust your loving kindness. I trust your unfailing love towards me. The new living says, I will rejoice because you have rescued me. And I will sing to you because you've been good to me. You've dealt bountifully with me. I love that. Now, final chapter, chapter 14 for the night. <laughs> we have a lot more to go from the book. Again, for the choir director, Psalm of David says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. David's saying those out there who deny the existence of God, you're a fool. <laughs> but actually much more than that, I should say this. They're not just denying the existence of God from an intellectual standpoint. These are the people he's talking about that they know Maybe they know God, they know he's real, they know that he exists, they know about him, but they're rejecting him, they're rejecting God. He says, you are a fool when you reject God. You live as though there's no God in your life. He says, they are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. And this is, again, the practical outcome of someone who just lives their life in a way that does not, or just ignores the Lord, I should say doesn't honor the Lord, just lives like God is not real. This is, this is the fruit that they bear. They're not honorable. They're corrupt. They don't do good deeds. They do abominable deeds, evil deeds. There's no one good or no, no one who does good, he says. He's not saying that all evil or, or he's not saying that, that evil or godless people, I should say, can't do any good. Notice that. But rather that it's, it's not their first instinct. 
It's not their, of their nature, even in the good that they do. And we see this all around us every day. It's not void of evil. It might actually have faulty motives behind it that could be evil in, in its intent. And then verse two, he says, the Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become bankrupt, or corrupt, bankrupt, <laughs> become corrupt, or bankrupt, sure, spiritually. There is no one who does good, not even one. He's saying God is looking down from heaven. He's looking for one thing. Who down there has understanding? Who down there is seeking after God? But he says they've all turned aside. They've all become corrupt. So God's looking. He's seeking. And this is what he finds. People continuing to turn from him. Continuing to, to turn aside. And the people, they're corrupt, he says. The Lord looks down. He notices that there's no, no one who does good, not even one. Verse 4. Do all the workers of wickedness not know who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? He's saying, is there really no one? Like no prayer, no belief, nothing of spiritual significance happening. Are there really just atheists out there? Verse five, there, there they are in great dread for God is with the righteous generation. You would put to shame the counsel of the afflicted, but the Lord is his refuge. He says, you mocked him, you've made fun of him, you shamed the counsel of the afflicted, but guess what? The Lord is his refuge. I love that. Verse seven, and I love how he rounds this out. Oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores his captive people. Jacob will rejoice and Israel will be glad. Listen, God is going to intervene, he says. David knew that the Lord was a refuge for his people. The ungodly people, they, they won't have victory. God, though, was going to be a refuge. And it might have been the hardest thing for David to see at that moment in, in his life. Evil's prevailing, right? There's no one good, right? No one's seeking God. No one honoring the Lord, right? Everyone's just doing evil continually, <laughs> but he knows and he's trusting in the Lord to come through. So he prays, oh, that the salvation of Israel would come out of Zion. Lord, would you respond? Lord, you're our saving hope here. And isn't that the beauty of the gospel? Is that, man, where sin is great, we know the grace of God is greater in desiring to save. And we look out in Portland, like, I don't want to look out in Portland. We look out in Portland, we look at our neighborhood, we look at the news and we see wickedness prevailing. We, all, we can almost say, man, is there anyone good? Like, is there just evils prevailing? Listen, I pray that we would have the heart of David and saying, Jesus, would you save? Oh, that salvation would come. Lord, would your gospel go forth? Lord, would you use me? You're our only hope. Sorry, Obi-Wan. <laughs> I need to get Liam to laugh. He laughed at that one. <laughs> Jesus, you're our only hope. He says, Lord, would you respond? And when you do, we will be glad. We will be glad. We will rejoice. The Lord, you're our savior. Our bank account is not our savior. A, government, a governmental system is not our savior. Not a politician. 
Oh, that the Lord would save. And keep our eyes on him. The Lord is our refuge. Let me just encourage you as we close tonight, Josh is going to lead us in another song. Wherever you're at, I just want to, reading through these four chapters, maybe something stood out to you, the Lord ministered to you, like, wow, it's an amazing truth to camp out, out on just through his word. Just be honest before the Lord tonight. Allow his word to minister to your heart so that, as he says, so that we may trust him and be glad. Trust him and be glad. That is our hope and that's our desire. I just want to read from chapter 11 again, how we started. In the Lord, I take refuge. Lord, tonight we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we can take refuge in you. And no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter who's chasing after us or no matter what, pain that we are experiencing, God, we can run to you. We can hide in the shadow of the Almighty. That we can trust you in all times. And I just pray for those even tonight that have for, felt forgotten they, by you. They just, and we know it's not true, but Lord, they just feel like everyone else is, is moving on. Everyone else is succeeding. Everyone else is getting what they're praying for. But Lord, here I am. This has been five years. It's been 10 years. And, and here I am. You haven't, you haven't spoken. You haven't responded. God, do you even care about me? Lord, I just pray that you would remind each one how much you love them, that you are for them, that you are working, God, doing a deepening work in them that they can trust you. I pray that their eyes tonight would be enlightened to what you're doing in their lives, that they would see and have the wisdom of heaven. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.